This morning, we are starting a bit of a new topic. It's a pretty exciting one, I think. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 1 and then Colossians 1, and I invite you just to listen along. Ephesians 1, 19 to 23. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Colossians 1, 13 through 20. For he, God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything everything to himself he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of christ's blood on the cross thank you wayne thank you very much daniel good morning everybody welcome to our special resurrection sunday celebration good to be here yes a couple of you are that's that's fantastic so Yeah. Resurrection means never to die again. That's what resurrection means. It's a big difference, important difference between resurrection and resuscitation, isn't there? People get resuscitated all the time, but we know that at some point in the future, death will take them permanently. But resurrection means never having to die again. That's the message of Jesus. That's the life of Jesus captivated. So we've been on this journey uh, and at the opening of this morning we talked about uh, Nathan, our worship leader, was speaking about the journey of Holy Week but the journey is longer than that. It begins um, earlier than that and so I want to actually bring you into the Passover conversation because Passover is what was happening in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified, when he was buried, when he was resurrected. And so I want to point to you this morning and say that Passover was always a precursor to a greater exodus. 
if you think about the lens of Passover and Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, he speaks to them and he says, Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So therefore, let us keep the feast. Let us keep the festival. And Daniel read to us these these important words from Paul's letter to the Ephesians who had God's power raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And now he's far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. Now, if you're tracking with us in the daily readings, uh, you'll be you'll be have followed through the story of Israel's deliverance from Egypt, the triumph of God, the God of Israel over the gods of Egypt. That's a, now, I want to say very clearly that from a biblical perspective, there is one supreme being we call God. But in the biblical worldview, there are other gods, not equal to the God of Israel, but there are other gods. And the Bible uses the term powers and principalities. Now, I don't want you to get, now, some of you could be having a little freak out now. I hope you're not, because I hope you're familiar with some of the biblical texts. If you're not, just go back and read the Bible. You'll see. This, this occurs in several different places. What we just read is one. Or if we go um, on to Colossians chapter 1, which was also read to it, again, we've got Paul speaking about this reality that God's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son. And Christ did this through his death and resurrection. It talks about God creating everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. So we know from the Bible there's an unseen realm. Now many of us, me included, grew up uh, in, a, in what we would, the world at that time was known as a modernity. We now live in post-modernity, post-modern. Now the modern worldview was was that there was only what was physical, only what was tangible, only what my five senses could lay hold of. That was what I that was what existed. And the idea that there was an unseen realm, that was all superstitious. And enlightened people we didn't have we didn't believe in that rubbish. And some of you grew up and went through the same school and you read it. And you bring that into the Bible as well. You can bring that lens unintentionally into the Bible. And so you can read these scriptures, but you still look at them through those things aren't real. But the Bible says they are real. The conflict between uh, God's representatives, Moses and Aaron, against the, what we call, they're called the Egyptian magicians. They're really priests. The Egyptian priests would be a better word was a real struggle in some senses. Not a, not a struggle from God's point of view, but we know that they were able to reproduce several of the plagues of God. So there is powers and principalities that are unseen. It's really important that we get hold of that and we live with that. What's, really, what's, what's even more important is to understand the words of Scripture 
that, that God who created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth, that he is supreme over all. That's really important. This is not ever an equal competition. Did Looking for some images to use for this morning um, and put in some words into a search engine and come up with some images. And one of the things was like this picture of a, it's meant to be Satan and Jesus having an, sitting down to have an arm wrestle as if that's somehow an equal event. Like as if it's, you know, who's going to win this? It's kind of, it's no competition. So important to understand that. Jesus has triumphed, but the way he triumphed is not the way that people necessarily think you would triumph. And I want to encourage you, um, I want to kind of encourage you and disturb you a little bit to actually read your Bible as it, as it says. Because one of the things that Paul also writes about in his letter to the Corinthians in the first letter in the first chapter, he talks about the cross of Christ. This one's beautifully decorated. It doesn't look like one that you would stick a man on. Um, but it talks about how Christ, this was the, this was the wisdom and the glory of God to defeat the powers and the principalities. And you, that, some of us who have grown up in the church, we're kind of used to this conversation and we don't really think too much about, hang on, will we take it at face value that that was triumph? But you think about it from a first century Jew or someone else from another culture, it's like, how is that power? A bloody man on a cross is not power. It's not triumph. That doesn't look anything like victory. But what, what God is saying is that the powers and the principalities that are holding people in captivity always are self-serving. They're always using humans to, both to do two things, to oppose God to and to destroy humanity. They're using humans to get what they want. The cross is the picture of the God who, who gives himself to save people. Can you see the antithesis? It's the exact opposite. From self-serving, the, these spiritual rulers that the Bible talks about are in opposition to God and opposing God and wanting to destroy humanity. And God chooses to take on the form of a human, becomes a man, and, and we see him lay his life down the cross. He is the self-sacrificing God. And that's so important to understand about God's character and nature. When you, using the word, the language of Philippians 2, when Paul says that Christ laid aside his glory and suffered a death, cruel, humbled himself, da, da, da. That's, that's the reality. At the very heart of God is the cross. At the very heart of God is a self-sacrificing God so that we rebellious people would come into his family. Isn't that such a beautiful picture? He's not serving himself. He's serving us by laying down his life for us. And in that act, in that act, 
which um, the Bible says if, if the powers and principalities had known that this was the plan of God, they would never have crucified Jesus because that was actually, they thought they were killing off God's plan. In fact, God was using them to kill off their own plan. The wisdom of God, that's what Paul says, is, is far greater. Sorry, the foolishness of God is far greater than the wisdom of men. Because he triumphed over humanity's rebellion against him. And he triumphed over the powers and the principalities in the cross. Well, early this morning we had some baptisms. And uh, down the beach I shared this statement that from the earliest days of the church, baptism was understood as a person's public declaration that they're a disciple of the risen Christ. And it demonstrate, in baptism it demonstrates transference from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it's that declaration that they've been freed from death and freed from God's adversaries in the unseen world that seek to dis- steal, kill and destroy. That's the words that Jesus himself uses in John 10 when he speaks about his adversary. He calls him a thief. It's one of the descriptors of the adversary. A thief. And he comes to steal and kill and destroy. And so where you see your things being stolen from you, and I don't necessarily mean physical things, although it can mean that. When we talk about um, the Being set free from generational iniquity, we're talking about the right of the enemy who opposes God to come into your life, to steal your health, to steal your mental well-being, to to try to kill you and destroy you. He wants to suck the life out of you. And you want to, and so this is why it's so important you sign up for these sessions that we're going to do. And we're just beginning to lay some groundwork this morning that's going to help and help you understand. Oh, okay. This is what we're talking about. Because we are disciples of Jesus. We're inviting people into this reality. And we want to, we want to deal with any foothold, any little thing in our lives that gives the thief that right a legal right to steal and to kill and destroy. And some of us have got family patterns that we need to get rid of. Just very quickly, Julie and I, third, about 30 years ago, we were, we've been remembering where our journey began. It was about 30 years ago that we were looking at our own lives and some of the things that we saw in our own lives and in, our, um, in generations preceding us. And we, we were like, this has got to stop here. We don't want this in our kids and we don't want it in our grandkids. And so we began to go to war. We began to learn things about how, what, what this is all about. Why does he have this right to continue to perpetuate things in a generation? And we said we want to learn that reality because there, there is this thing that's passed on generationally. But what we know about God is that God wants to release generational blessing. And he wants the blessing to flow through more and more and more generations. The, his life flowing through us. So if you're a follower of Jesus today and you're going, I got all this sort of stuff that I'm battling. Just want to say to you, Jesus is the answer 
But there's a process that he wants to take you through to set you free, set your family line free so that you can come, well, you can, you can walk fully in his life and love. One of the, one of the things that the Bible talks about is the, the God who created the heavens and the earth. He is the God of light. The ones who are in rebellion against God are darkness. And so this idea, the Bible says, we, we were all, all humanity is like trapped, imprisoned, held captive, just like Israel was in Egypt, held captive in the kingdom of darkness. But because of the work of Christ on the cross, trusting in the work of Christ, I can be trans, God transfers me into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his son. And then I have to learn a whole new way of living. And we know from the story of Israel that getting them out of Egypt was one thing. Getting their minds changed and transformed and understanding who God was, who he had created them to be, called them to be, and how they were going to display him to the whole world. So in fact, they ought not to live in the way that they had been living in Egypt and they ought not to be adopting any of the customs of the other nations around about them. That was always the ongoing battle. Getting it like the Egypt thing happened relatively quickly. So let me just pose a couple of questions to you. And why is there evil in the world and why does anti-Semitism exist? I'm not going to ask you to call out answers. I want you to think about that. But let's do it. Let's do this. Let's make it a little bit interesting. Not that that question isn't interesting of in itself, but just find, turn someone near you and say, tell them, tell them, pick, it, pick one of those questions and tell them your answer. Okay, let's bring it back here. So, and... Uh, Love to hear some of those answers, but um, maybe you can share with them, share with me over coffee, your answers to them. These are these to me are fundamental questions, and pretty much uh, the first one: why is there evil in the world? Is is kind of pretty much what every government is trying to deal with. They're trying to go like, how do we get rid of evil out of our society? I think most governments are answering that question, trying to answer that question. They're not, because I don't, I don't think many governments are saying, how can we make our society more evil and destructive? How can we kill more people within our nation? They could be, I, don't, I just don't know that they are. Um, and the question about anti-Semitism, it's um, how many years since the end of World War II? Yeah, it's a few. And, uh, and the birth of modern-day Israel. Coming up, 75, 75 years. And the world at that time, the world at that time when the birth of modern-day Israel said, never again will we allow someone to try to exterminate the Jews. That's what they were saying. And yet all across the world, calls to exterminate the Jews are rising up 
They're in our nation. The voices in our nation. They're all throughout Western democracies. All throughout. Like why? Why is there this relentless hatred of Jewish people in the world? Now we're going to. I'm going to answer that question not in full detail today. So. Um, Okay, if you had asked me these questions, why is there evil in the world? I would have gone straight to Genesis 3. Some of you go to Genesis 3? Yep. Okay. Because we go, that's where, that's where humans rebelled against God. Would have been a good, good answer. Good answer. Um, if we'd asked someone probably at the time of Paul, if we'd asked the Apostle Paul, what do you think his answer might have been? Oh, VM's too too fast for me. <laughs> right, so we keep going. If you see, if you ask Paul, he would have said a number of things. He would have said Genesis three. He would have said Genesis six. He would have said Genesis eleven. He would have said there are actually three rebellions. How many of you? That's new information. Three rebellions in the Bible. There's a few of you. That's okay. It's like it's not a. This isn't a. This isn't a quiz where you're going to get a prize because he didn't know the answer. Um, so the Bible actually speaks of three rebellions and it details them and there, there are different players in each one. We don't have time to go through all of them in detail today. I want to give you a little bit of a taste because we will go through them in more detail next week. Okay, Genesis 3. Is Adam and Eve in the garden, Garden of Eden, and we're told that a, a creature, which is called the serpent, it's, it's described as a serpent, um, comes and tempts Eve at, to eat of something uh, that she's not supposed to eat of, and uh, she takes Adam. So uh, Adam eats also with her. And then there's consequences that flow from that because what they've done is what you and I um, do as well. We, we get invited into a conversation with a vastly more intelligent being than we are who's been deceiving and seducing people for longer than any of us have been alive and know exactly what buttons to push in our lives and the question that's put to all of us is essentially this, will you trust what God has said or will you believe what your perceptions and your own wisdom over the word of God? That's essentially the conversation that goes on. Because the conversation was, did God really say? And then the, the conversation goes on. Now, let me just make a suggestion for you to consider here. Eve wasn't talking to a snake. Eve wasn't talking to a physical serpent. Eve was talking to one of these unseen powers and principalities. A deceptively beautiful creation of God able to seduce her. I want you to just think about that and please feel free to please go back and examine the scriptures to make sure what I'm telling you. But 
if you if you think about it this way. Uh, Jesus talked about the thief, John 10. I mentioned that before, right? Uh, we, we talk about, we see in the book of Revelation, there is someone called the beast. But that's not their name. That's a description of their character and how destructive they are. Also, it might surprise you to know that in, the, in your Bible and in my Bible, Every time we see the word Satan, it's not a noun. I didn't do too well in English. A noun is a name, right? Okay. So, so every time you see the word Satan, it is the Satan. And in Hebrew, it works the same as English. You don't say, I saw the Wayne. I saw the Julie. Do you? Do you say that? No, you say, I saw Wayne, I saw Julie, okay? So when, you, so when you're reading your Hebrew Bible, as I'm sure most of you don't, as I don't, Hebrew is a very difficult language to learn. I did it for a year in Bible college. Anyway, but interesting. So in other words, when we're speaking of the serpent in the garden, it's telling us the nature rather than the literal being. Does that make sense? Just as in Revelation we're speaking of the beast, and all through scriptures you see there's different things, this different ways that the adversaries against God, the powers and the principalities are in rebellion against God. So the second that's very quickly Genesis three. Genesis six this one is really fascinating and causes people to go into all sorts of wild contortions and things because you have the sons of God having sex with women and creating a superhuman race called the Nephilim. That's the big summary of it. If you've never read that, go and have a read of it. Okay. Like, first of all, the first question you should be asking, hang on, the sons of God having coming to earth and having sex. I thought there was only one son of God. It's Jesus. Like, has he got some brothers we didn't know about? Um, let me say it this way in the Old Testament and in the New Testament the phrase sons of God appears multiple times sons of God what is it in the New Testament who are the sons of God well done Great answer. Thanks for the courageous person that called that out. Other people were kind of like, mm. um, you know. So, in the, but in the, in the writings before Jesus, sons of God is actually a term used of heavenly beings. Powers and principalities are called the sons of God. Okay, I realise I'm probably... Some of you are probably having a little bit of mind-blowing stuff at the moment, but that's okay, but just stick with me. So, so what those sons of God, these divine beings that are not equal to God, but that they're coming to earth and having sex with women, and they have transgressed the border between heaven and earth that they are not supposed to transgress. 
They are never, ever supposed to do this. And that leads to incredible wickedness and they teach humans a whole bunch of stuff which we'll summarise by saying they teach humans how to destroy themselves more efficiently. Things like warfare and other things. And so then Genesis 6, when God says that he looks on his creation whom that he loves and he goes, I'm grieved. I'm grieved. This is my family and the intent of all their hearts is evil. They've become so corrupted by these divine beings that have crossed over the border that they should never have crossed and have taught them all these things. My only alternative now is to pick one family that is righteous, that is not corrupted, and through them I'm going to save the rest of the planet and I'm going to destroy the planet with a flood. That's Genesis 6. Genesis 11, many of you will be familiar with. This is post the flood. And so, and what, what people are doing is that the people have multiplied on the earth. And again, instead of worshipping the true and living God, they want to pursue spiritual power and they create a tower at, at a place where they believe they will be able to reconnect heaven and earth and tap into spiritual power. I'll just say that's, that's the essence of what's going on there. And, and God comes down and, and looks at what's going on and says, I'm going to divide the, the earth into nations. Now we find this in Deuteronomy 32 and as well as in the Psalms. And I am going to come back and unpick this in a lot more detail next week. And basically what happens is that we believe at that point that there are 70 nations created and Israel is chosen by Yahweh, the supreme God, as his inheritance and the other 69 are given to the rebellious powers. Why does anti-Semitism exist? Why do people want to destroy Israel? Because it's Yahweh's inheritance. This is the story of the Exodus when we, get to, when we get to Pentecost, when we get to Exodus 19. God says to Israel, you are mine. I've chosen you. You are precious to me. Out of all the nations on the earth, you belong to me. And through you and the covenants I've made with Abraham... I'm going to save the whole world and restore them back into my family. So if we go to that next slide, thanks guys, that evil comes from humans and unseen rulers rebelling against God. These are my abbreviated answers to the questions. And anti-Semitism persists because unseen rulers want to destroy the one nation God chose as his own when he divided the nations among the rulers. So I find this liberating. I find this makes a whole lot more sense when I read my Bible and understanding this. This is why. 
And so this is why Israel becomes the, cent- the touch point and it's the centre of the universe from the biblical perspective and why we keep our eyes on Israel and why the nations rage against in- Israel. And, and we see that. So... Oh, yes. So... Um, Actually, why don't you grab a microphone and come up? <laughs> now that you brought that up, Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. Yes. Do you want to jump up? Some of you heard rustling of pages and you've, you've looked in, in my Bible, the NIV, in that passage there, says sons of Israel. Some of you got that? Yeah? No, I need to stand up here apparently. Okay. Yeah. Sons of Israel. And um, as Wayne's going to unpack next week, uh, you have to go back to the Hebrew to see it's actually not Israel. It, the word, and this is going to even concern you a little more, but the word is sons of Elohim. Okay? We'll discuss that more next week. Yeah. Thanks, Jill. We will. Yes. Okay. Isn't it great to go to church... Worship God and come and leave with lots of questions. You've got to go and read your Bible to find answers to. Yeah, it's good. So we're coming back. We're coming in for a landing here. So now we want to talk about, we want to always keep in mind the triumph of God and coming back to these words from Ephesians 1 about God's power raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. It is beautiful. And so this confidence that we have in Christ and because we belong to him, we've crossed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son who he loves it's the kingdom of light and he is the one he is seated and it is right that he is worshipped because of that's who he is so Gustav Dorr in 1868 tried to capture this with this uh, painting that he did it's oil on canvas the triumph of Christ over paganism and you can see the resurrected Christ there standing in power and victory and he's defeated all the others and they're at his feet they fall and that is so important to remember so even with all that stuff that I've given you today it's always to remember the triumph of Christ he has triumphed over the powers and the principalities. That is what part of, and Resurrection Sunday is part of that journey. And then we will, we see more of it with the, on the day of ascension when Christ ascended. And there's a whole beautiful image, imagery in that as well. The power of the ascended Christ and what that means. And so I want us to, conclude our time this morning with the feast of Jesus so if you please get those cups and we remember Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed we'll have that final slide
This is the reality. That through his death and resurrection and through, through the simple trust of giving my allegiance to Jesus, which is to say, I leave, be, I leave behind any allegiance to anyone else. I leave, I, I, I no longer have an allegiance to myself. I no longer have an allegiance to a power and a principality. I no longer want to be a self-serving human being. I want to enter into the reality of the life-giving God who is the self-sacrificing God. And I want to become like Him because that's who He is. And He is, and He's created a way for me and my household, my family, my family line to be freed from the powers and the principalities that are committed to destroy humanity as the way of trying to destroy God's inheritance. He's got an inheritance in the nations, as the scriptures say. But the message of the cross is that God has triumphed. And what looks like foolishness, what looks like weakness, is his ultimate power, ultimate wisdom. And so we say, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. Would you eat that little wafer and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you humbled yourself. Thank you, Jesus, that you became a man. You demonstrated the value that the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit places on weak and frail, rebellious human beings. You came to liberate us from our sins. You came to liberate us from death. And you came to liberate, deliver us, liberate us from the powers and the principalities that hold people in captivity. And it's a great freedom festival that we are partaking in right now, Jesus. And we thank you for your cleansing blood. And as we drink this, Lord Jesus, I ask you that your blood not just cleanse us, but let us heal all our diseases and deliver us that we may live lives that truly show the freedom that we have through your death and resurrection, Jesus. Let's drink together. First Impressions team, we're going to come with some containers to collect, collect things, but as the worship team comes up, I just want us to pray again because I want to give people an opportunity this morning to just close your eyes and bow your head and pray with me. If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that right now. And simply pray this, repeat with me, this simple prayer phrase by phrase Lord Jesus Christ I surrender myself to you I give you all my allegiance I thank you that you gave everything you had to redeem me to liberate me from death 
to free me from the one who wants to destroy me. And you've given me a new status as a son of God. And I will reign with you forever. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and take your rightful place as king over the whole earth.